0: Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. George Strait has a song called I Saw God Today, in which he sings I've been to church, I've read the book, I know he's here, but I don't look. His fingerprints are everywhere, I just look down to stop and stare open my eyes, and then I swear, I saw God today." The song is about all the little things in our lives in which we can see God's majesty and grace if we take the time to look at them. In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright explains how Jesus exists not just in our worship spaces, but more importantly, in our everyday interactions, if we're just willing to look. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us.
1: I invite you to turn in your scripture to John chapter 21. We'll be reading there today, the last chapter in the Gospel recording, the Gospel according to John. We'll be reading verses 1 through 14. Hear now God's Word. After these things Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. They said to th- Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. Now this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, in these moments, may your Holy Spirit dwell so richly in our midst that our ears and our hearts are attentive to your voice. May your Holy Spirit guide me to speak words of your truth. May they be spoken in simplicity, with clarity, so that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will for all good things that we receive now We offer to you and only to you the praise and the glory in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So let me ask you a question this morning. When is the last time that you were so excited about or moved by the presence of Jesus that you would throw yourself out of the boat into the water? I'm waiting. Well, obviously, it's kind of a uh, figurative question. Um, And to be sure, the point isn't about being excited. I mean, it's nice to be excited, right? We, We enjoy that most of the time. But the real point isn't just about being excited about Jesus. But there is something to putting ourselves in Peter's place in the narrative that that the presence of Jesus was so moving that he or we might go to some drastic measure uh, to be moved to, to act on His presence in our life. John records this very special narrative. We're told that after Jesus' resurrection that He appeared to the disciples. The angel at the tomb, when the women went out to, to find the tomb and found it empty, the angel told them to go and report to His disciples that He would meet them in Galilee, that they should go on uh, and, and plan on meeting Him there. The the gospel narratives also tell us that Jesus actually appeared to the disciples on that very same day in Jerusalem. They, They hadn't even left town yet and Jesus had appeared to them. But John describes for us the fulfillment of that message from the angel, that the disciples would go to Galilee and that Jesus would see them there. Now, we, we touched on this a little bit on Easter Sunday morning, and so you may recall that we had a few minutes of conversation about that. I want to revisit it because, again, I, I think there's a picture that carries meaning for us if you think about the, the difference between Jerusalem and Galilee. And just to refresh what we said a few weeks ago on on Easter Sunday morning, that, that, that these Again, those locations kind of portray for us two different things. And I don't want to tell you that this is the only thing that the Gospel writers had in mind when they recorded these events for us. But I just want you to think about what the two things represent. The majority of Jesus' disciples were Galileans. They were were people who came from the areas around the northern part of where the Jewish people lived. Um, I, I don't know explicitly that all of them were. Maybe, maybe there were a few of them that might have been around the southern part in or around Jerusalem, but most of them were Galileans. So Galilee was more, there, there were some thriving communities, but Galilee would be known more as the countryside. It was just kind of, for most of them, it was what would be considered home. Jerusalem would be more representative of that worship center. And it's not to say that some of the Galilean disciples didn't go to Jerusalem for other things, but they dis- they definitely would have gone to Jerusalem on the occasion of those annual feasts of the people. When God had called the people three times a year, you come to Jerusalem, you stay the week. Th- these were the worship festivals, the, the celebrations that God had established. So these Galilean men would have come to Jerusalem, almost so that Jerusalem might have embodied, if you will, what it meant to gather as God's people. That was the worship center. But when they went back to Galilee, that was home, that was normal life. That was day-to-day, doing doing work, doing family time. So, So you see, the two locations kind of depict different parts of their life together. One was kind of the It was a picture of the worship center. One was kind of the picture of all the rest of everyday life. The question is, where does God meet us? In the midst of our time of gathered worship or in the midst of our everyday life? And the answer to that is both, right? It's everywhere. It's not one or the other. It's both. Jesus met them in Jerusalem, but Jesus also met them in the midst of their daily, common, everyday life. Peter and the rest of the disciples had this amazing experience with the risen Christ who fulfilled a promise to them that he would come to them and that he would make himself known to them. The day started with Peter and... I've, I've thought long and hard. I've had conversations with people about what was going on in Peter's mind. I, I won't chase that rabbit today. But Peter starts the whole thing by saying that he's going to go fishing. You know, me, Peter was a fisherman. So uh, some of you guys and, and maybe girls also, you might think you know fishing is that recreation. You know, you enjoy going. But Peter was a fisherman. That was almost like Peter saying, "I'm going to go to work." So he goes out in the boat. The rest of the disciples say, "We're going to go out with you." they go out they fish all night they catch nothing it also it starts to trigger in our minds like okay this is getting set up as as you know a god thing is going to happen here so they go out they fish all night they catch nothing morning time comes there's a guy over on the shore of the lake he's he's too far away for them to readily recognize who it is but the man calls out to them you don't have any fish do you Do you think they kind of got a little snarky in their response? No, as a matter of fact, we don't have any fish. been fishing all night and haven't caught a thing. And so he calls to them, throw the net on the right side of the boat. So they do. And there are so many fish in the net that they can't even bring it in. Have you ever had a deja vu moment? You might say, no, I've never had that, but there have been times when I've had this strange feeling like I've been there before. Look, this is a, the disciples must have had a deja vu moment in this. and it, I have to tell you, it's nearly impossible for me to read John chapter 21 without thinking about this. They had to have thought, wait a minute, this has happened before. If you go back to Luke chapter 5 and start at the beginning of the chapter, you will find that very early in Jesus' ministry life, he was walking along the sea of Gal- the, the, the shores of the sea of Galilee. These flocks of people were following him. It probably was morning time because there were these fishermen who had been out doing their job, which they usually fished at night. They had come in, they were cleaning their nets. Jesus gets in one of the boats and has him put off a little bit from shore so he can teach the people. Guess whose boat he was in? Peter's. And Peter sits there in the boat while Jesus teaches the people for who knows how long. And then when Jesus has finished teaching, he says to Peter, put out into the deep water for a catch. Peter responds and says, We've been fishing all night and haven't caught a thing. But if you insist, this is a little bit of a light paraphrase, we'll we'll do it. And so he puts out in the deep water, they let down the nets, and here's this huge catch of fish. They have to call for some of their partners in another boat to help them come haul it in. It's so large. Wait a minute. This has happened before, right? We've been here before. Now, just a moment of commentary. Was this a miracle? It's kind of a set-up question, so don't bother answering out loud. Um, you know, some people would say yes, and some people would say no, and I really don't care where you fall on that. Yeah, you, it's, there's no way you could argue that it's not of God. Okay. Is it on the level of turning over 100 gallons of water into wine or making a dead person live again? Well, not quite. Um, But some of you know fishermen, and you might say if they ever caught a fish, it would be a miracle. But to say that people who fished as a profession caught fish, you know, you would expect them to catch fish. That's what they do. You might not expect them to catch that many fish, or catch fish at the exact time that they were told they would catch fish, or catch fish at a time when it was not normal for them to catch fish because they'd fished during the, during the peak hours and nothing had happened. So certainly, this was of God. And yet, it was not a foregone conclusion that people would have recognized this as a God-being-present moment. It takes eyes to, to be able to see that this was a divine act. And that happened in both cases. If you don't have eyes to see that this is God at work, the biggest news of the day is the big catch of fish. The big catch of fish was not the big news of the day. The big news of the day is that God had shown up. And somebody had to have eyes to see it. In Luke's narrative, it was Peter. When the the fish were caught, Peter recognized that there was more to this man Jesus than just being a rabbi. This man was of divine nature, and Peter fell down at Jesus' feet and actually asked him to go away. Go, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. And it was after that that Jesus put his call upon Peter. We're going to visit that next week. It'll be today continued. So, In John's narrative, it's John who recognizes it. Okay? Like, they're out in the water. Their, their nets are brimming with fish, okay? But the catch of fish wasn't the big story. John looks over at the shore, and the light bulb goes on. It's, it's Jesus. It's the Lord. When, when Peter makes that recognition, thanks to John, because John obviously was the one who helped Peter do that, what does Peter do? He, he jumps into water, swims to shore. What do the rest of the disciples do? You can answer. They, they take the boat in, right? Why do you jump into the water when you have a perfectly good boat? Because you're moved, okay? Be- because the presence of God in the midst of your daily life, so moved you that you did something remarkable, something, uh, 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 you know, what do you call it when you do something like... Uh, spontaneous, that's the word I was looking for. Mind is a terrible thing to waste. It's, but that's what recognizing God in our life will do. It will cause you to do something extraordinary, something spontaneous, and you will be blessed by the recognition. I'm sure Peter looks back and he would say, I have, no, I have no apologies about jumping into the water because I couldn't wait to see my Lord. It was just that important. It is so important for us to be able to see and recognize that God shows up In our life. But the question is, do we have eyes to see it? When we talk about living the Christian life, there are uh, often two complementary ways that we talk about our experience as living as Christians in the world. One of those ways is uh, how we, as Christians, are to be Christ for others, for the world to see. So we go into the world and we, we, are, we are being Christ so that the world can see Christ in us. But the complementary way of seeing it is that how we can see Christ in the world around us. And that's more the question of today because there is no doubt that as you and I go about our lives one day after another, Christ is out there. Christ is manifesting Himself to us. The question is, do we see Him? It's a question that obviously some people, many people are going to uh, think about. You know, We're told on, on the day of judgment, Matthew 25 tells us that when, when the Lord one day gathers all the nations before Himself, he'll, gather, he'll, he'll separate them to the left and to the right, and He'll say to them, you know, uh, you know, you did to me, or you 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 didn't to do to me. And the question they're going to ask is, when did we see you? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you in prison? And we either ministered to you, or we didn't. And he will say, when when you did, or you, I, you know, equally so, you could say uh, when you saw me in the presence of. The least of these around you. You see, Jesus is saying, I was there, I was there, but you, you didn't recognize me. I came across a Guideposts article, uh, it, it wasn't dated, I couldn't tell you how old it was, it was written by a lady by the name of Gwen Falkenberry, probably not in relation to Miss Debbie, name was spelled differently. Uh, but, but she wrote and she used an illustration of her 13-year-old daughter who has this gift of being able to see that God is present around her uh, and using the example, for instance, that when, when the marshmallows on the top of her hot chocolate line up in the shape of a cross, she recognizes that God is making himself known to her. And we might look at that and we think, well, that's a little simplistic, right? I mean, that's just kind of a trivial way of thinking that God is reminding us of his presence around us. And certainly we should have a little bit of a built-in kind of check and balance regarding uh, you know, reading too much into the things that we see around us. But, but the real point is that it doesn't take anything miraculous or complicated to, for God to use to remind us that He is there, to manifest Himself to us. It can be in the most simple way, the most simple thing. But we have to have eyes to see. You see, we, we serve a God who is findable, knowable. He, he reveals Himself to us. I actually took a quote after this article that, that the author writes, and, and she says this quote, uh, whether God aligns marshmallows for our benefit is really not the point. The point is the heart. Is my heart soft enough to see Jesus in a sunset, to feel his love in the kiss of the wind on my face? Is my office door open to him? And if I judge these things as nutty, I'm the one who is missing out. End quote. How much do we miss out on? Because we don't have eyes to see that Christ has made himself known to us in the midst of our everyday life. The promise of God is that if we want to find him, we will. God honors the heart that searches after Him. And that's a thread that weaves itself all the way through the Bible. The idea that God is hidden and that God refuses to reveal Himself is absolutely out of line with what the Scripture teaches us. We have a God who desires to make Himself known to us day after day after day. And he does that in order to fulfill a promise that Christ made to his disciples. I want to read with you a little bit from John chapter 14. I know you still have your Bible open, so just turn the pages back a little bit to John chapter 14. And I want you to see some of the language that Jesus uses when he talks with his disciples. This is in the context of Jesus uh, on the night before he went to his death. He's having this long conversation with his friends. And this is what it says in John 14 and I want to begin reading in verse 15. It's a natural lead-in. If you love me you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. So Jesus is anticipating the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who would abide with and in his his followers. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but I want to finish reading these verses. Verse 19, after a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and and pay attention to this, and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Time after time in those verses, you you have... You have it stated, we will come, we will come, we will come. We will make our home with you. You will be in us. We will be in you. That close, intimate, tied relationship. Verse 18, Jesus said this to the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I remember in 2010... When my father died, my father was the, lad, the second of my two parents who died. I know that throughout 48 years of my life, I was extraordinarily blessed to have at least one, if not both, of my parents in my life. And I know that I can stand here today and testify that that was a, true, uh, a truly remarkable blessing to me. When my dad died in 2010, the feeling of being orphaned came over me because I no longer had a parent in my life. And that's not to, that's not to diminish the, the presence of my in-laws in my life because I love them dearly and they are powerful Uh, influences to me, but when the second of my parents died and I suddenly felt like an orphan, it was a completely unexpected and and very unsettling feeling. And I didn't like it. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you that way. And I have no doubt that when Jesus died on the cross, and the reality of his death hit them. It must have been overwhelming. They surely struggled with the question, what in the world are we going to do now that he's no longer here? But Jesus' promise is, I'm not going to leave you that way. So by Jesus appearing to his disciples, not just once, not just twice, not even just three times, because the Scripture tells us that over the period of 40 days, he did it time after time after time. It was as if to emphasize the fact that I'm making good on my promise. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You will know in powerful ways my presence with you as you make your way through this life. And friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I have access, have opportunities to know that presence as well. He doesn't want you and for me to live feeling like orphans, like God is distant. He wants us to know and to feel that God is near. And that's a blessing that you and I can have. You know, the writer of Ephesians offers this wonderful prayer to his hearers, you find it in the, in the third chapter in verses eighteen and nineteen. The wording is a little bit cumbersome, but this is essentially the prayer that the writer offers up. He says, "I pray that uh, that you will know the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth." He doesn't say what he means by that, but obviously he's talking about comprehending. Uh, the things of God, whether it's the love of God, the presence of God. I I pray that you'll be able to comprehend God's presence in your life, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about that prayer. I'm asking for you believers that you may experience the absolute fullness of God with you, and in you, that you may be able to comprehend how big, how large, how great, how holy God is in your life. That's God's desire for us. The apostle prayed for that for the church. And I pray for that for us today. You see, these narratives that are preserved for us aren't aren't just there so that we can look back on them as historical events. They, they tell us of God's nature, God's character, as one who fulfills his promise and says, you are not going to walk through this life without knowing my presence. I'm going to be there. The question is, do you have eyes to see it? This risen Christ who lives for our justification makes himself known to you and me this day and every day and i pray that increasingly you and i will have eyes to see when how and in whom christ shows up in your life would you pray with me father i thank you that you uh, you made yourself known to these disciples so long ago. And after this huge catch of fish, Lord, you invited them to the shore and you did something so remarkable as to sit down and have breakfast with them. That must have been such a wonderful meal. God, I thank you that you make yourself known to us in the midst of life. And Lord, we would confess that so often our eyes just aren't in tune enough to know it. But Father, I pray that you would help us to change that. Help our hearts to be so so much more inclined toward you that we are seeking you, searching for you every day. And that you'll give us those affirmations. Of how you come and you make yourself known to us. I pray, God, that you would do that so that our joy would increase. That our testimony to you would be even more powerful. That we can let the world know that there is a Christ who lives and walks among us today. And that you're still changing lives by changing hearts. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.